Duke fans, hello and welcome to episode number 234 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Welcome to fall. I hope you guys are all enjoying the week as we record. It is Wednesday, September 23rd. On this episode, we're going to take a look at some of the video that has come out of Duke basketball's practices. We'll learn more about the schedule as it pertains to the proposed showcase that Duke is hoping to have on campus in December and a team that we correctly identified as a participant. We also have an update on the rest of the schedule. We will also preview Duke football's upcoming game this weekend against Virginia. But before we get into the world of Duke sports, it is Donald Wine here. I am your host for the show as I come to you from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C. I have my two friends with me, so I'd like to welcome them as well, Sam Klein in Boston. Hello to you, sir. Hello, Donald. It is great to be here, and I very much look forward to us diving into the bits of practice footage that we got this week from Duke basketball and speculating, uh, perhaps unfairly speculating, on, on the construction of the roster and, and the lineup this year. I mean, look, when you drop 10 minutes worth of video with guys playing basketball on a team DBR, that we haven't DBR seen, DBR will psychoanalyze. We will, we, will, <laughs> we will speculate. We will do what we need to. But before we do that, the guy you hear laughing, the resident AT Elian, Jason Evans. Jason, good evening. Yeah, I'm, uh, can, I don't want to do any jokes or anything like that. Let's just get right into it. We actually had footage of the guys playing basketball. Guys that we have never seen play basketball in a Duke uniform yet play yeah. And we let's got start, to see it. Let's talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about it. Okay. We'll start with the review. Uh, again, some practice video that Duke basketball put out yesterday. It was a little over nine minutes of what they called raw uncut video. It wasn't really uncut, but it was not it uncut. Was still, it was not uncut, <laughs> but still a five on five scrimmage that the team had as part of their summer workouts. Uh, if you have not seen it again, if you have 10 minutes, you will enjoy it thoroughly. Head to Duke men's basketball's YouTube page to see the full one. I know they put bits and pieces on Twitter, but the full one is on their YouTube page. For most of us, as Jason mentioned, it was our first chance to see some game footage, if you will, from this year's team and a chance to see how these guys play. We're not going to be able to see them through uh, a blue-white scrimmage or even you know any warm-up exhibition games this this season because of how the schedule has played out. So this is was our first chance to see something that we may not see a lot of uh, this fall. So I want to start with Jason. Jason, there was a lot to take out of this 10 minutes that we can over-speculate on uh, or even over-analyze and micro-analyze. Give me your sense of what you saw. What stood out to you from the footage we were able to watch? Yeah, should we start doing – we should do Sam's uh, – the contest that we do every year, the, the, the picking contest. We, we now have all the info, I think, that we're going to have prior to the preseason. It feels like we know It's going to be the – sidebar, that's going to be the <laughs> wildest, dumbest oh, predictions game we oh ever had. I feel like it gets it gets harder every year because because there are more guys that end up leaving and this year I think more than any year previously maybe 2016 we have so many new faces who are going to play so many big roles and unlike sort of the Zion RJ or, or Marvin Bagley Wendell Carter years it's not clear that that those incoming guys are definitely going to be the best but Jason like Donald asked, yeah. kick us off. Tell us, tell us some of those little <laughs> things that you saw and let's, let's start the speculation. So, wow. So there's just tons of stuff to talk about. And I'm going to, I'm going to mostly focus, um, you know, as we're, as we want to on the newcomers because the old guys, we know a little bit, but before I focus on the newcomers, I, I do want to mention um, the old guys looked pretty good. And the fact that we could think about this, we could put out a lineup 
and this is not an inconceivable lineup by any stretch of the imagination. We could put out a lineup of, of Jordan Goldwire, Wendell Moore, Joey Baker, Matthew Hurt, and Patrick Tepe, which are five guys who all have a tremendous experience playing college hoops. How often in the past decade has Duke had five guys who could be starters who have all played you know meaningful minutes uh, in past seasons and, and shown what they're capable of? So, so that's kind of cool. But after saying that, let me talk about the newcomers. Um, the very first thing you see on this video is, is Mark Williams just being super athletic. For a guy who's like 7'1", let's, let's be clear. They don't say he's seven foot. They're saying this guy's seven one. He can really run the floor. He gets up and down. He attacks the rim. He is noticeably bigger than anyone else on the floor um, by, by a pretty good amount. And he just looked unbelievably athletic. Look, I don't know how polished he's necessarily going to be, but this is a guy who is going to finish at the rim with authority. And, and I thought that was really exciting to see. Look, Mark Williams, the word that I can use to describe what I saw in that video energy that man has all the energy in a room from he can take all the energy from all the other teammates combined and it was still like he was all over the place which i love to see and you know you talk about his length he is one of those guys that they had a picture a few weeks ago of him taking some advice uh some coaching from nate james and nate james is six 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 seven he's 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 a tall dude and he looked small next to mark williams i think his legs came up to came up to Nate James's face. He's that long, but his energy was incredible to see throughout. That's the thing that I think we're going to need a lot of this season. The thing that I took away from that is that Mark Williams is so big that he didn't make Patrick Tepay look big. And and we, <laughs> we thought when Patrick Tepay committed, I thought, man, that dude is, he is, he's thick. He's an old man. You know, he's 22, 23 years old. He's coming in as a graduate transfer. Like he should look bigger than everybody else. And Mark Williams made sure that Patrick Tepe does not look like the biggest guy on the team. Yeah. So let's continue this. I, I tell you what, I'll talk about a dude, what I saw, and then you guys can chime in. So the next guy I want to talk about is Jalen Johnson, the, the most highly touted of all the newcomers. I thought he was, he looked incredibly fundamentally strong to me. He strikes me as the kind of guy where you're going to look at a box score and go, wow, he, he had 16 points and nine rebounds, and, and you're going to feel like you didn't notice him all that much. Um, but I, he was shown repeatedly cutting hard to the basket, finished really well. To me, just looks like this guy who, who who's going to do a lot of different things for Duke and um, you know, didn't jump out that much in this video. Uh, but, but uh, you know, again, struck me as someone who's probably going to impact the game in a lot of small kind of ways versus a guy who who like Zion is suddenly going to, you know, make your eyes pop out. I think he fits in the mold of a lot of previous Duke three, four type players, the Kyle Singler, Jason Tatum types. The big thing for, for him that we didn't really get to see in this video is how good he's going to be on defense. Because if he's even an, even a, a good defender, he's going to be a, an excellent player if defense holds him back and and he's only really able to stay on the floor for 25 minutes a night, then he'll have a good season, but but not a spectacular one. I mean, I think when it comes to Jalen Johnson, I think, Jason, you nailed it. He, he's the type of guy that I looked and I like had to look up his number again. Where I was like, wait, is that Jalen Johnson? Because he he did everything and it was such in a way that it wasn't it wasn't flashy. But he, you realize that, yo, I see a lot of Jalen Johnson on my screen, and that's a good thing. I think you're going to need – like we've had some years where guys are flashy. We've had some guys where you look like, you know, 
I, I want to say Vernon Carey last year, there were times where you're like, man, Vernon Carey had 27 and 15. Like, what the hell? Like, <laughs> you, you have those type of guys, and I think Jalen Johnson is going to have going to be a guy where some games he's going to be flashy. He's going to have you know 25, 30 points or whatever, and he's going to be the star. And then there's going to be times where you're going to be like, man, he did a lot of the dirty work. He did the stat sheet is just full of Jalen Johnson stats on here, and I did not realize that he played 30 minutes. The Donald, you mentioned that you had to keep looking up his number. I feel like the team was teasing us by the fact that they were practicing in the uniforms that don't have the names on them. And we're seeing all of these guys for the first time, because as soon as I loaded the video, I was like, wait, I don't, I don't know half these guys' numbers. Who's number one? Who's number three? (laughs) And keep, well, and, and then, and I, I, I think we're going to talk about them probably very soon as DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach, whose numbers are right next to each other. And they were guarding each other the whole time. Other than the fact other than the fact that DJ Stewart has has bigger hair, you know, they're they're similarly sized guys. They're they're playing a similar position. So I was getting them confused in my mind repeatedly. And they switch teams. I think that's the other thing that like leads to the confusion. And here's the thing. I think it's brilliant because I know who else is watching this. It's probably some teams. And they're probably like, man, number one was great on the white team, and number one was good on the blue team. Wait, is that the same guy? Like you're going to have those – there was definitely moments from like, okay, who is what? I actually wrote down a roster just so I could quickly reference who Ditto. was who, and it still was confusing, which was which and is Michael, great. And Michael Savarino, who is a walk-on, is wearing number 30, which is great for throwing you off because you're like, oh, 30, that's a, that's a real pl- – no, no, it's not. No, it's not. That's not a, <laughs> that's not a guy. Well, uh, you know, Sam, you teed it up. L- let's, let's talk about Jeremy Roach next. Um, I-, I thought his penetration – and his vision really shown at times in this. I mean, this guy, he looks like the kind of point guard who's going to make things happen. And oh my, does he get up the floor fast? I mean, I know this isn't, this is a practice court. It's not like a full-size court, I don't think. Man, that dude was- It's a it full like, court. Yeah. It's a full court. Well then, man, I, I mean, there are a couple times people got rebounds, got it to him, and I was like, blink of an eye, he was suddenly inside the opposing team's you know, paint, making something happen. He ran a couple- of really nice pick and rolls as well, especially I thought two times he ran it with Patrick Tapay, um, who I thought was, you know looked really really fundamentally sound. Um, but but I was really impressed, uh, really impressed. Sorry with Roach's penetration and his vision. The thing that I found most interesting watching this was that Roach and Stewart were often guarding each other, and Jordan Goldwire and Wendell Moore were often Noticed guarding the same each thing. other. Yep. I am a little surprised by that because I don't think that that matches up. Position wise, I think Jeremy Roach is more of a point guard and Jordan Jordan Goldwire is more of a point guard fundamentally. So maybe they should be guarding each other and and Wendell Moore and DJ Stewart, who are, I think, more often going to be off the ball, should be guarding each other. But this goes to show you in practice that that Coach K wants these guys to mix it up. I I think he wants Wendell Moore to to be able to facilitate and he wants him to be comfortable having the ball in his hands, which happened at points last year. And perhaps it's going to happen this year. You hope that it's not going to, but, but there is a chance that depending on how the rotation shakes out, that Wendell Moore has to, has to handle the ball more often. So I kind of like seeing those matchups happening in practice because you get a little bit of an idea of how coach K thinks the lineups are going to work out. Well, and by the way, I think the reason for those matchups was I would not wish uh, any freshman to have to go up against Jordan Goldwire or Wendell Moore in, in one of their first scrimmages, you know, early on in practice. I know these aren't, by the way, this is not officially practice. This is just like the guys getting together and, oh, look, the coaches are kind of watching a little bit off to the side. I mean, but this is not official practice kind of stuff. At least I don't believe so. If it is, it's against the rules. So, <laughs> but, but anyway, uh, you know, bottom line, 
Um, I think it's probably better for the freshmen to guard each other at first and then then gently roll them into the process of being guarded by Jordan Goldwire and Wendell Moore, who are two of the better perimeter defensive players in the country. Especially when you're talking about first with Wendell Moore, you saw a lot of him being at the top of the key with regards to on defense. He got a lot of steals in and, you know, got his hand in the pass lane. We saw that a little bit last year. It looks like that he's going to be called on to do more of that on defense this year as well to probably guard the shooting guard or even the small forward at the top, someone at the top of the key and be that guy who can force everyone else into making a bad decision on, on the offense. And between Stewart and Roach, I thought that competition was great. And I think that was another theme of mine. There's a lot of healthy competition for, for playing time and for spots on this team. And there's, I mean, there's guys that are versatile. There's guys that can, you know, do one thing really well or do another, you know, be an offense or on defense and then there's some guys who are going to be fighting for that playing time. I like to see the healthy competition between Stewart and Roach to see who can be on the floor uh, more often, especially when you have thrown the element of Jordan Goldwire is also uh, this guy who's like, yo, this is my spot. Come and take it. And he's not playing like he's losing the spot. So I, I do like that healthy competition. And I think overall, that's what's going to make when practices actually fully begin, that everyone's going to get better every day because everyone is competing every single day. It's, it's what Kara Lawson said for the women's team. It, did you compete today? Those guys competed what we from what we saw in this video. Yeah, and regarding DJ Stewart, uh, so of my notes on him, three different times I wrote the word shifty. That, that, that guy just feels to me like the kind of player who, you know, he's constantly got you back on your heels. I, I saw a number of times he just seemed really crafty with the ball. Obviously has the really nice shooting touch. I, he wasn't, to me, he wasn't featured quite as much as Jeremy Roach was. Uh, Stewart seemed to sort of come on late in the video. Now, it felt to, at times to me like maybe they were sort of cutting together some highlights of the same guy again and again. For example, Matthew Hurt like d doesn't do hardly anything for the first like eight minutes of the video. And then there's like a one minute string where he scores like 10 points in a row. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so so I think maybe that part of it was was the editing of this, quote unquote, uncut video. But but again, with DJ Stewart, like the thing I just saw again and again was he seemed really confident with the ball. And he seemed like the kind of guy who's going to find little nooks and crannies to 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 shift his way into and then get off shots. I, I, I was I was impressed. God, all these guys, they, they looked really good. All of them. You you mentioned shooting. And I, I think you were probably leaning t towards going to this person next. But Joey Baker, like. This video, oh my goodness. That, this exactly, dude that's everything. who I was going to go next. Joey Baker. <laughs> this, this guy hit everything. Like, yeah. he was all over. I mean, every single three. It was almost like you like you could just wait for the, the sound of the ball just swooshing through the net. It was, it was poetic. It was almost like the video wasn't actually uncut. Right. <laughs> <Almost>. <laughs> but, like, if he shoots a microcosm of a percentage that he shot in this video, my God, then – He's gonna go. He's gonna be a, a, a chef Curry. He's gonna be hitting eight threes a game because his his stroke looks fluid. He was getting it in positions. He was hitting wide open threes. He was hitting contested threes. And he had a couple really deep ones too. Really, really deep. deep ones. They had one where it was like kind of a fallback from like what looked like to be twenty five feet. And they didn't even show the ball going in. They just showed his reaction of him running down the court because it, it went in. That was great. So I really liked what I saw from Joy Baker in this video. Look, Joey Baker hasn't gotten a ton of playing time in a Duke uniform, and, and it's been pretty streaky for him, but he still has an NBA body, and we know that he's a great shooter. If he can really be an excellent elite shooter this year and, and play some defense, he has a future in the NBA.
Yeah, and by the way, speaking of defense, I was I was sort of watching and trying to kind of I was trying to remember how many threes Joey had hit. I, I think I counted six threes that he hit. He was clearly the leading scorer on the tape. There's no question about that. And just as I was counting, there was a highlight of him darting into a passing lane, getting getting a steal and coming down and getting a dunk at the other end. And I went, Joey played a little bit of defense too. That's the key for him. If he's able to be good enough on defense that he's not a liability, that dude's going to play a lot because he can fill it up. All right, so the, the other guy that, uh, you know, we were bouncing around and we talked about a lot of different people. I, I want to really quickly mention Jamin Brakefield. I, I don't know how. I'm not, I haven't figured out all the minute kind of things yet, but somehow Jamin Brakefield is going to get minutes for this team. God, he looked incredibly fluid, really athletic, skilled. He had, he had a, a one-handed slam dunk from Jeremy Roach. Roach went in the lane and tossed it up there and, and Brakefield slammed it one-handed. Remind me of some of the stuff we used to see from Cassius Stanley last year. He had a, Brakefield had a spin move that was not at all easy, and he banked it in with such confidence. Uh, you know, again, I can't figure out how all these guys are going to play. Um, look, we saw last year Coach K seemed like, you know, he was comfortable going to nine or ten guys. But, I, I, you know, Brakefield absolutely feels like he's someone who's going to be in the rotation. I thought he looked fabulous. And the athleticism at his size is a big, big plus. We talked about how we had to keep referencing the roster to remember who guys were. And I thought that Brakefield was Jalen Johnson for about a minute and a half stretch of this video. Cause I was like, Oh, there's the, 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 the big way. There's the future making, lottery pick. Yeah. Who's making, who's making the big impact. It looked like Jamin Brakefield. So, so yeah, I agree with you, Jason. I don't know how, I mean, obviously all of this is caveated in, we, we only got to see little snippets of it and we haven't seen them in real game action and not from an angle that we're used to because most of the footage was, you know, from basically their eye level. But it does seem like there are a lot of guys who are very capable for this team, even down to rotation players like Mark Williams and Henry Coleman, who I don't think any of us expect to be to be major contributors this year. Even they looked comfortable being on the floor with the rest of the team. I think comfortable is a great word. Confidence is a great word. You saw that with uh, Henry Coleman, who wasn't in this video that much, but the plays that he made, you could tell he felt comfortable doing it. And I think that's what this summer has been all about in a world of uncertainty with regards to basketball and just outside of the bubble that they have at Duke. They are, they are trying to get everyone comfortable with each other. They're trying to get everyone comfortable with the offense. They have a lot of new pieces and really just getting everybody comfortable with their roles. And it seemed like for the you know short time that we saw Henry Coleman, he was able to make moves with confidence and be comfortable in the fact that his teammates trusted him. And I think we saw that even when you know we talked a, a few weeks ago uh, when you had the interview with him when we were talking about the, the social justice uh, thing that they had in, in Kayville. He, he felt comfortable, he felt confident, and he knew that his teammates had his back. That's what I saw from a lot of these guys uh, in this video, no matter how much they were in it. Yeah, and the, the last two guys I want to talk about are the two oldest guys in the team. Just really quick, I, I thought Jordan Goldwire, we've already talked a little bit about Jordan Goldwire. I thought he looked excellent. Um, he had a step back three at one point. I just seemed absolutely in control at all times. We've seen, look, this video does not include much defense. We have seen what that guy can do on defense. He is easily one of the best perimeter defenders in the country. I've, I've already said that once. I'll say it again. And I'll probably say it many times this year. Great, great defender. The, the strides he has made on offense. Uh, I, I know Roach looks fabulous. I get it. Jordan Goldwire's the starter on day one. There's there's absolutely no question about that. He deserves to be. He's a he's a very, very good turn himself into a really good point guard. And then the other guy who we haven't seen before, but literally the oldest guy in the team is Patrick Tepe, 
who I thought just seemed incredibly fundamental. He, he had a couple really, really nice finishes in traffic. Um, you know, wasn't intimidated at all by the size of, of Mark Williams. Seemed like he, I think I noticed him finishing with, with either hand around the basket. This is a guy who, you know, a, another guy who just sort of, you know, quietly is going to do all the things you need him to do in the paint. And that's just really valuable. Yeah, he looks polished. And I think that competition between it is not like he doesn't have energy compared to Mark Williams. Nobody has energy because in that video, he was bouncing all over the place. But when it comes to the polishedness of his game, like how smooth and fluid it was, he knew he had an old man game moment as well. Like he did the like, you know, fake. It came up one side and then came around. And Mark Williams is just in the air. Just look at him go around like, dang just missed him by that much. Like those, those sort of things are, are like what there's going to be a point where coach K is going to go with veteran experience. He's going to be like, who has been in this situation before Patrick to definitely has had that experience and had knows how to react in those kind of moments. Uh, and then with Jordan Goldwire, I think resilient is what I would call his career so far. Every single time we talk about, Hey, you know, someone's going to replace this guy. Someone's going to make sure that he doesn't get in the game. We have all these guys. Jordan Goldwire still gets his minutes. He still makes an impact on the game. So I think that is a uh, that's something where we want to see that that leadership, and that's only going to make that that backcourt a lot better. Because while you know DJ Stewart and Jeremy Roach may be more physically gifted, athletic than Jordan Goldwire, Jordan Goldwire is not going to give up his spot easily. He's not going to give it up a lot of competition, and because of that. His defense is going to keep him on the floor. As you said, Jason, he's probably going to start uh, at least from day one, and he's going to make an impact because he's done that so far throughout his entire career. Do you think that Patrick Tepe has been watching the NBA playoffs and specifically the Denver Nuggets to pick up a few of those old man post moves from Nikola Jokic? Oh, if if he's going to do some step back one legged stuff, I'm glad we don't have Patrick Ewing as the coach because Patrick Ewing would would not like that so much. I don't know what Coach K thinks about the step back one legged ju- jumper from the post, but we'll see. I think if the ball goes in the hoop, it's okay. Yeah, I think that's what I would say too. Uh, but again, I, we we have just taken the last like 20 minutes or so to overanalyze and and over speculate on. Uh, what was a 10 minute video, which I think was pretty good. I think for every one minute of video, we talked about it for two. I think that's a pretty good ratio, but that works. The, but the conversation is not going to stop there. Of course, on our forums, you can discuss all of this. If you have questions or actually if you have comments about what we discussed, head to the forums at dukebasketballreport.com and also send us an email, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, hey, by the way, guys, really quick before we get off of this, let me ask the really the difficult question, who was the best player? Who was the guy you saw who impressed, surprised, whatever you the most in this video? Um, and, and you know what, uh, Donald, I'm going to take over as host. So I'm going to toss it to you first, Donald. You tell me who, who was the guy that, you know, surprised you the most? The one that surprised me the most was Mark Williams. I mean, we've talked about how, you know, he, he's not the most heralded of the recruits. Uh, he, I know we know he's long, but we didn't, the good thing is I didn't know a lot about his game and how he operates. So I could watch it kind of for the first time and see how, how it maneuvers in a group as good as Duke is. And I thought he held himself really well. Again, his energy is something that I tremendous. I always fall in love with guys who provide that sort of energy. And if he's going to do that all season, we're going to be in a great spot. So I'm going to go with Mark Williams. Sam. I think with respect to Jeremy Roach and all the awesome things we saw him do, I was most surprised to be impressed by Jamin Brakefield. 
and and the variety of moves that he had around the basket and his versatility. I, so I, I was trying, trying to decide between Roach and Breakfield. To me, those are the two main candidates. Seeing as you took Breakfield, I'll take Roach. I just thought his ability, he repeatedly showed that he could get to the rim and the speed that he was playing at surprised me for a freshman, you know, really early in the season, ostensibly before practices even started, for him to play at that speed and that successfully, that's a big deal. That shows me that this guy, once the season is going, people are not going to be able to keep up with him. So this goes to show, I, I'd like to put this last part as we close this segment out, to Duke basketball. Do more of these videos. We like watching them. I know our fans do. And we like talking about them. So, uh, hey, and not- we wouldn't mind. We wouldn't mind if it was actually uncut. I don't mind seeing guys miss shots every now and then, and seeing some defense would not be a terrible thing. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be a defensive team, right? Let's see some steals. I mean, we saw a couple. Let's see some block shots. We saw a couple of those, but we want to see more. We're just, we just, we just want more college basketball, and you guys can provide it. So, give it to us. I want to shift gears slightly. We're going to stay in basketball uh, to the discussion that we had in our last show about the multi-team showcase that Duke is hoping to put together in Cameron in December. It's going to be centered around a theme of social justice activism. And honestly, I want to take that and also some other things that have happened to kind of see how our non-conference schedule shapes out. Last time out, we speculated about which teams could receive the call from Coach K to join the Blue Devils in Durham for that showcase. And it turns out for at least one of those teams, we were absolutely right. Howard, according to reports, coached by a friend of the podcast, Kenny Blakeney, has verbally committed to play in this showcase, whatever they eventually call it. We don't have a name for it yet. Uh, It's still being put together. But they have verbally committed to play. And that means that McCurr Maker will play in Cameron, at least if these reports were true. And I will say on a personal note, I like being right sometimes. Brian Fantana knows 60% of the time I'm right. Every time. So uh, also in regards to that, John Ross. Hey, Don, by the way, Don, Donald, you should take some real props. We, we should, everyone, we should take a moment and acknowledge that it was Donald's thought. He was like, hey, Howard, that's the team. And it, this notion was not out there. It's not like it was all over Twitter or anything like that. You were the first one, the only one that I heard talking about it. We picked it up here on the podcast. And then lo and behold, like two days after we, we go on the air, here it is. And everyone's confirming that. Howard is the team going there. And there are there are 357 teams in Division I basketball. You had you had a one in 356 shot of picking one of those teams, and you got it right. So props, my friend. I, I like it. Yeah, look, the DC streets have not failed me. I appreciate them. Um, but I also want to just throw in there for a note. John Rothstein of CBS Sports is reporting that the ACC Big Ten Challenge will proceed this year and will be played on campuses throughout the two conferences. And the target date for that is December 8th and 9th. We also know that this Duke showcase would take place on probably December 4th or 5th area. They haven't decided on dates. So we have what looks to be more indication of how this non-conference portion of the schedule is going to fill out with the showcase at Duke, the ACC Big Ten Challenge. And last show, we talked about the Champions Classic proceeding as schedule in Orlando. So Sam, I'm going to turn to you. We, we discussed a lot. What do you first think of Howard verbally committing to this tournament? And also your thoughts on the ACC Big Ten Challenge proceeding, particularly the part about them playing on campuses. I'll take the Howard news first, which is that I am, one, proud of Donald for getting this prediction right, and two, excited that Coach K is finally coming around to playing some of his former players 
in in these games and, and maybe this is opening up to him to him finally inviting some of these teams back i understand the awkwardness that it creates for him and for the former players when they come to cameron and they're on the opposing sideline but get over it man you know the, the, a lot of these guys are, are coaching at, at big time programs I, you know kenny blakeney's not not coaching at the the biggest program at, at howard but but it's a prominent program and it's very cool that they are going to be coming to cameron for that Switching over to the ACC Big Ten Challenge, I'm excited that they're that they're still playing the tournament or the showcase. I guess it's not really a tournament. I am concerned about them choosing to do one-off games in in campus arenas. It does seem like it's just unnecessarily risky to have all the all the teams flying around in December like this. But I also don't know how. I, I mean, I suppose they could they could try to bubble up and make the event a much grander event you know spread it out over a week have it all be in in florida have multiple teams play each other do some kind of tournament style event but for for it being the way it is I'm, I'm glad that it's happening it does mean that early in the season i think we talked about this a little bit a few days ago it does mean that early in the season duke is going to have a pretty tough schedule because they're going to get the champions classic and about a week later the acc big 10 challenge so duke probably gets two top 10 top 15-ish teams early in the season, not to mention any of the other events that are probably still going to be scheduled. And you can bet, given the way everything is changing this year, that Duke is probably looking at more high-level teams to be competing against. So we talked at the outset of football season when they announced all the schedules that, look, we're getting rid of a lot of the cupcake cupcake games this year. The ACC is going to be playing the rest of the ACC. The SEC is playing the SEC. They're not doing these buy games where they – play programs you've never heard of they're playing each other the same thing is going to happen this year in basketball so for the games that we do get it's going to be really exciting you know the interesting thing sam you mentioned the fact that duke has you know a couple of high profile games uh, already in mind to me the interesting thing that we learned this week was that 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 date with howard that you know whatever whether they're going to end up calling that thing they said december 4th and 5th that sort of says to me the showcase i guess that sort of says to me that if you're doing December 4th and 5th, it's probably only like four teams, you know, that, you know, because uh, you, you play one game on one day and one game on the next day. So you get, you know, two different opponents. But um, that that does not feel to me like a big major, you know, tournament like some of these other tournaments that are going on. And, and let's not forget that Duke has at least initially opted out of whatever became of the battle for Atlantis that was supposed to be in November around Thanksgiving. Um, and at the time they opted out, everyone said, oh, they're gonna replace it with this social justice tournament thing. Well, if they're doing the social justice thing December 4th and 5th, they must be doing something different around Thanksgiving. We don't know, we don't have any intel on that yet, but I strongly suspect uh, that Duke is trying to put together two different sort of events on campus. They may both relate to social justice and, and the messages involved in that, but it, it looks to me like one of them is a perhaps smaller event involving Howard and perhaps another HBCU and, and maybe a, a high profile team. And then there's going to be still this unknown event that I think probably will end up having a lot of pretty high profile teams that I bet is going to go somewhere around Thanksgiving. That's just me wildly speculating and guessing, but that's just sort of what I'm what I'm getting from the tea leaves and the dates of these things. Yeah, and when you talk about just the the dates of things, you have the Champions Classic. It seems like we're going to have the Champions Classic, the Duke Showcase featuring Howard, and the ACC Big Ten Challenge in the span of like a week, maybe a little longer than a week. 
uh, in December. So again, like you said, those are going to be three to four of these non-conference games. We're only looking at five or six. So there's got to be something that happens during Thanksgiving week where the, where Duke is going to be involved. My guess is, like you said, I think they try to figure out a way to stay on campus and maybe it's, you know, they have it where they have this, you know, tournament or whatever around Thanksgiving, they stay at home. They have the champions classic down in Orlando. And that's really the only thing that they travel to because they have the Duke showcase in Durham. And then maybe I think, I don't know how the schedule lines up, how the rotation is, but it could be that it's our turn to host a game in the ACC Big Ten Challenge again, and that would keep us in Durham as well. So maybe they're setting it up where they don't have to travel uh, that much outside of the state of North Carolina so that they can keep their bubble intact the way they really have been during the uh, during this pandemic. We'll stay tuned to that because I know there's going to be more information on all of these uh, all of these showcases and tournaments and games as they come about. It seems like the news is coming uh, quick and fast. So up next, we will preview Duke football's game against Virginia this weekend. But first, we will pause for a quick break. Stick with us. Okay, gentlemen, we are back, and let's shift to football. Is there such thing as a must-win game into September? Because this certainly feels like a must-win game for the Blue Devils. Duke gang will travel to Charlottesville this Saturday to take on the Virginia Cavaliers. Last year, this matchup did not go very well. We were blown out in a game where it looked like Duke didn't really show up at all. If the Blue Devils are going to pull off the victory at Scott Stadium, they're going to do it without cornerback Mark Gilbert who underwent surgery today to remove a bone fragment in his right foot. He is out indefinitely, which is a huge blow to the defense. Jason, I know you did some digging on Virginia, so I'm going to start with you. What does Duke need to do to get past the Wahoos and get their first victory of the season? By the way, just really quick, Josh Blackwell, who is another member of our secondary, also had surgery and is going to be out perhaps for a while. He has a torn meniscus. So our secondary took a big, big hit this week. And, and that's going to be a concern. It would be a huge concern if UVA had Bryce Perkins back as their quarterback. He was a stud. He destroyed us last year. Really good quarterback who was able to throw and run. Nope, he's gone, graduated. He's going to be replaced by a guy named Brennan Armstrong, who was their backup from a year ago. He's a, you know, Armstrong's a, a junior, I believe a redshirt junior. Don't, we just don't know a ton about him, but pretty good bet that he's not going to be as good as Bryce Perkins. Um, uh, it's worth noting that UVA says they had uh, their head coach, Bronco Mendenhall said they had zero positive COVID tests this past week. So it appears that all their players will be available. Um, uh, I know one thing to, to, to note about them is that uh, they, they, they think that they're going to rely a bit more this year on uh, junior running back, Wayne uh, tall, Papa. Uh, he, um, he had 12 touchdowns last year, but you know, ran for less than 500 yards. Bryce Perkins was their leading rusher. Um, Perkins of course is gone and, and it looks like they're going to rely on Talapapa uh, a bit more this season. Um, the other guy on offense for UVA that I want you to keep an eye out for, um, everyone in the UVA camp has been talking about graduate transfer tight end, Troy Poljan. Um, this guy's been getting a ton of praise in practice and they've got a new QB, like I said, and a new QB's best friend is a reliable tight end. Uh, this Poljan guy is 6'7", 265. 
which means he's too big for a safety to cover, but he's also really fast. It makes him maybe too fast for a linebacker to handle. Um, I, 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 he transferred, he's a grad transfer, I think from central Michigan or Western Michigan, one of those Michigans. But in any event, this guy, uh, you know, the word is that this guy is one of the most impressive players in their camp. So be on the lookout for him. Um, on defense, they return almost everybody. They lost a lot of guys on offense, but they return almost everybody on defense. 12 of their top 14 tacklers from last season are back. So they should be pretty experienced on defense. And they started out the season pretty good on defense. So, you know, I don't, after the offensive um, performance that Duke had against BC, I'm not confident we're going to put a lot of points on the board. And just a really quick Duke opened this game as a nine point underdog. Um, the line has since moved pretty dramatically. We're only a five-point underdog right now. We we looked bad against BC. I get that, but not nine points worse than UVA bad. <laughs> um, and it's worth noting that UVA was picked ninth in the preseason uh, ACC standings. Duke was picked twelfth. But this is one of these games. If we're gonna if we're gonna pick up multiple wins in the ACC this year, this is one of these games we we got to win. We we got to get back on track. I want to see the Duke that played Notre Dame. I do not. I do not ever want to see the Duke that played BC again. If you subscribe to Duke in the Coach Cutcliffe era having a bit of a decline the last few years and and want to look for evidence, look no further than Coach Cutcliffe's performances against UVA. We, I think we won five or six in a row at the beginning of his tenure and have now lost five straight. So not only is this, is this a game that Duke really wants to win for this season, but I think it's a game that, that helps put the program back on track a little bit because UVA for a long time at the beginning of Coach Cutcliffe's tenure was below Duke in the ACC. With Bronco Mendenhall, with, with a, a lot of overhaul in that program, UVA's, I think, gone up ahead of Duke uh, at the moment in the ACC. So so look for them to to right the ship a little bit. I agree with you, Jason, that, that we're probably looking at a low-scoring affair here. And hopefully the Duke defense, despite some of the injuries, is going to be able to make a few more big plays than they were last week against BC, hold UVA to a, to a low number and, and eke out a win in Charlottesville. I think when it comes to this team, the, the injuries on defense, we're going to need to see those guys that are being plugged in to replace uh, who we've lost for them to step up. Because I know UVA, this is their first game. UVA has not played yet because their opening game was supposed to be against Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech had too many COVID cases. So uh, because of this, this game was now extracted from November and plucked on this weekend. So I think when it comes to Virginia, they're focusing in on the holes that we have on defense, and they're going to try to exploit them. The cornerbacks that we do have uh, that are stepping in, they're going to need to make a big impact because I think they're going to get a lot of balls thrown their way. And if they can show that they can hang, then that'll give a boost to the rest of the defense. And and I'll say this, the best friend of a inexperienced cornerback, the best friend of a cornerback who's trying to sub in and make something happen for, for an injured starter is a defensive line that gets after the quarterback. Um, one thing about this game is I, I, I happen to think, I've said it before, the best unit for Duke the first two weeks has been their defensive line, especially their defensive pass rush. And UVA had two of their offensive linemen, two projected starters, get get hurt one of them got hurt the other guy opted out uh, decided not to play because he was worried about covid so two of the guys who are projected as starters for uva on the offensive line are going to be missing and as a result i think the duke defensive line may have a real chance to to rattle brendan armstrong who is a brand new quarterback yeah and uh, the last thing i'll mention is take care of the football last week we turned the ball over five times that was a you know 
each of them backbreakers. A lot of them were uh, were in the red zone, and as we were trying to drive the score, you can't win games if you don't score points, and you can't score points if you don't have the football. Uh, I mean, you can try, but it's very difficult. And I think when it comes to us, if we can take care of the football on offense, our, our running game, I thought, improved uh, quite a bit from week one to week two. And I think Chase Bryce needs to make sure that he can distribute the ball to the receivers like he did in week one and take care of the football like he did in week one. Because if we do, then I think we have a good chance. And like you said, on defense, if we put pressure on the quarterback, like, you know, with that defensive line, if we can put pressure on their quarterback, we can hopefully force them into making some mistakes and we can capitalize on them. Because I think any opportunity we have to take some free points off of their off their offense, we should go ahead and do that because these these points are going to matter. And I think this game is going to be one that comes down to uh, a field goal or maybe a late touchdown to win it because these two teams are pretty evenly matched. And because it's UVA's first game, we should have the experience factor behind us because we have two games under our belt. I think that's where we will leave it for episode 234 of the DBR podcast. We appreciate all of you out there who listen in every episode, and we invite you, if you haven't already, to rate and review us whenever you get your podcast. It really helps us out. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions, as I mentioned before, feel free to send us an email to dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will likely be back sometime this weekend to recap the football game and any other news that comes up between now and then. Again, a lot of this stuff comes up as soon as we record, so chances are we will have something to discuss. So until then, for Sam Klein and Jason Evans, I am Donald Blind, and now Duke Band, take us home.